0: You're a, you're a 415er. 415er. 415. er 415 415 you are all about your San Francisco 49ers. And this is where you need to be for news, analysis, and, 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 more and more. Welcome to the 415ers, hosted by Evan Giddings and Mark Grandy.
1: What is going on, everyone? Welcome back into the 415ers podcast three times a week. Odyssey Sports Podcast Network, 95 7 The Game. Evan Giddings, Mark Grandy, Mark, my man. How are
0: you? I'm doing well, Evan. Happy New Year. Celebrating 2023 with another Niners win. their ninth in a row in overtime this time. Uh, it's a good start to the year. How are you doing in 2023, Evan?
1: I'm good. Yeah, we just watched the best game of 2023, Mark.
0: <laughs> okay. That joke is already old.
1: Uh, I hadn't seen it. I'm not really a big social media guy, so <laughs> I hadn't seen it yet. I'm sure you have millions of times few people have as well but in all honesty like this was probably this was the most entertaining game that the four ers have played this season in my opinion 37 34 ot win for the niners it was a lot of different things that we're going to break down over these 45 minutes uh we're also going to get into some of the costs of this game and a few injuries yeah. that could be um significant moving forward for the 49ers but the fact of the matter is san francisco is the two seed Mark's prediction from yesterday year has come true with the Minnesota Vikings getting their asses kicked by the Green Bay Packers today in Lambeau. And Mark, I'll, I'll let you first, before we dive into the game, take your victory lap because whether you like it or not, whether you like the win, uh, the slight victory, whatever, they are the two seed.
0: Well, I, I don't think it's fair for me to victory lap yet because my prediction was they'd go into the playoffs as the two seed. There's still a week of football left. Now, come on. Uh, Now, it seems likely they'll be the two seed. We can talk more about this maybe towards the end of the episode or or later on this week, certainly when we start diving into week 18. Um, The Niners should beat the Cardinals, who are waving the white flag on a terrible season already. Niners have a relative, uh, you know, still a lot to play for. uh, So they should be motivated to win that game. Plus, it's at home, all that. If the Niners, the only way the Niners get the three seed is if they lose and Minnesota wins. So if if the Niners win, Minnesota wins, Niners are still the two. If Minnesota loses, Niners lose, the Niners are still the two. Uh, So it seems likely that the Niners will be the two seed. The one seed, though, is still possible. I'm not going to victory lap yet. My prediction was they'll go into the playoffs as the two seed. We took a giant step forward to that on on this Sunday, week 17, the 1st of January, Evan, but we're not there just yet. So we will maybe save it. Well, yeah, me and you going on this journey together. We're not there yet. Uh, we'll we'll save that victory lap for maybe seven more days.
1: Okay. Sounds good. We'll, we'll put a bookmark in it. Yes. Let's get back to the game because I do. Then this is where I want to start, Mark. Certainly a win. Some might say it's a, you know, could have been a loss, you should have beat the Raiders. You're a 10-point favorite. Come on. What are you doing? It's in Las Vegas. The Raiders are probably out partying last night. Who knows what the, what the 49ers were, too. I know I tweeted out during the game. It looked like in the first half the 49ers were out, tw- were out partying last night. But the fact of the matter is this. This was a valuable win for the 49ers, in my opinion, because the one thing we had not seen yet in a Brock Purdy-led 49ers team, and really throughout this entire season, was then be able to pull out a victory when the game was in the balance. Now, they have won single-score games. They are now 3-1 and in those scenarios. But in a game in which you're down to a final couple of drives, you got a 10-point deficit in the second half, you're on the road. I know it wasn't necessarily a hostile environment because it looked like there was a lot of – 49ers fans, maybe even more than 50% compared to Raider fans at Allegiant stadium, but you're on the road and you got a rookie quarterback and he still has a box left to check off, which is, can he lead you back when he needs you to? And whatever you want to say about the Raiders, they played their ass off on Sunday and Brock Purdy and the offense found a way on a day in which the defense was not at its best to win a close game in overtime in which they easily could have mailed it in and say, hey, we'll fight for the two seed next week. It doesn't matter. They wanted to win this game. In a lot of ways, I think they should have won this game, and they did. And that is why, to me, even though it's not a good win, definitely not a great win, it's a valuable win specifically for Brock Purdy and for the overall 49ers now who move into the two seed.
0: I think you're right, calling it a valuable win. Um, Something we talked about leading into this game on our last episode uh, on Friday was every rep is still important for Brock Purdy at this point. It really does not matter who they're playing against. You could be playing against, you know, the worst team in the league. It's still valuable because the, the, the sample size of Brock Purdy at this level is still so small. Every snap he takes, every throw he makes, really every handoff he makes, it's still a learning experience for him. So you you kind of double that when you think about the fact that he had to come from behind in this game, the first time that he's trailed as a starter. Entering this game, the only other time he had trailed was when he came in in relief of Jimmy Garoppolo after he went down early in that game against the Dolphins when Trent Shurfield got the Dolphins on the board early with that first play from scrimmage touchdown. That was the only time the Niners had trailed with Brock Purdy at the helm of this team. So suddenly you go down by 10 points into halftime and you're thinking, okay, we're going to see what Brock Purdy is made of. You fast forward to towards the end of regulation, a tie game. Brock Purdy gets the ball with four minutes left. Now, it's not like he made perfect throw after a perfect throw. It was a big play to Christian McCaffrey on a screen. By the way, great call by Kyle Shanahan. Pulled it out at the exact right moment against an all-out blitz by the by the Raiders. But the Niners go all the way down. They score a touchdown. Now, unfortunately, the defense allows Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs and company to score again as well. You tie up the game. You give the ball back to Brock Purdy with about a minute left. Guess what? He goes down and with the help of some spectacular Brandon Ayuk play, gets you in the field goal range again. I mean, Brock Purdy led you on two game-winning drives in the final four minutes of that game. Now, of course, the missed field goal sent the game into overtime, but he twice led you down in must-have situations and puts you in position to score. You scored once, you missed a field goal the second time. So I'm with you, Evan. Valuable for the 49ers to prove to themselves they can win a game like this when their defense... Isn't up to their extremely high standards, but more specifically for Brock Purdy, we learned a lot about him in this game. There were some moments in this game where he was a little off balance. His interception on that pass to George Kittle was straight up a bad throw. Yeah, maybe George Kittle could have knocked the ball away, done a bit better there, playing defensive back on that wayward throw, but it was not a good throw by Brock Purdy. But when it mattered the most, Evan, Brock Purdy stepped up and he showed the 49ers that this isn't just some mirage. He can lead this team to a Super Bowl. I know the Raiders are not the stiffest competition defensively, but to do it in that moment, in that environment, late in the fourth quarter, I don't care who you're going against. It's meaningful.
1: Yeah, look, Brock Purdy today, he had to throw the ball in the second half. I think he only had 38 yards passing, although he had both (laughs) of his touchdowns in the first half, but he had about 250 yards in the second half I mean that's nothing to scoff at so if you're looking at a, two, a 22 for 35 line you know 284 two touchdowns a pick the bad throw like you said to Kittle um we and we can get into some of the mistakes surely uh as well as some stuff that we can critique I think mainly the fingers are pointed at the defense maybe yeah. a couple of questionable calls by Kyle Shanahan in my opinion that I'll, I'll get into uh but the offense was not the issue today and this was look, kind of a question about the 49ers with Jimmy Garoppolo and especially with Trey Lance. It's like, okay, when the defense has a bad day, what are you going to do? And so I think that even if it's the Las Vegas Raiders on the other side, give them credit. Like they showed up today with a backup quarterback and a situation in which technically their season is still alive. Like that's why we were talking about leading in this week. Why it, was, it felt like a slap in the face of Derek Carr to tell him to hit the pike. Sure. Jared Stidham. Stood up to the 49ers' number one defense and I think exposed them a little bit, which we can break down. But first and foremost, the credit goes to the offense and it goes to Brock Purdy to be able to churn out seven and a half thereabouts yards per play. 284 through the air, yes, but 170 on the ground one hundred and eighty three or not 193 combined yards between pass uh, catch and run between uh, for Christian McCaffrey. Pardon me. So there was a lot to love about this game. And offensively, it starts with Brock Purdy. The other reason why I think that it's a valuable experience for Purdy is I I don't know if we necessarily saw anything we didn't know about Brock. Like I, I think he is very much a gunslinging quarterback, both good and bad. But I think that this is a valuable experience because when you go into the postseason and you get into a situation where, like you said, you're in a, maybe not a game winning drive at the time, but I got to have it drive. OK, now he's got something in the back of his mind where he can go to and say, like today it was a situation where, all right, I don't know any better. I'm just going to go out there and, and let it rip. OK, well, now he's got something tangible that he can tap into in a future scenario and say, Number one, I've succeeded in that spot before, so he's got even more confidence that he already apparently has. Two, he has some reference point to, all right, what did I do well in my last game-winning potential drive, and what did I do bad? Where did I put us in a position to where we were going to win, to where we're trying to win, but also where did I put us in a position where we could have been hurt, where I could have turned the ball over, like a play on – you know, the play action rollout right before the missed field goal, before the end of the game, where he I, I'm not going to blame him for that because it's more on Shanahan, in my opinion. But that's a play where he's trying to do a little bit too much and almost turns over the football. Thankfully, yeah. it ends up in the arms of Iuke, but that's a a a maybe miss or make play that the 49ers get. So I think that it's valuable there as well for a guy like Brock Purdy.
0: I think if if you're Kyle Shanahan, and he would never openly admit this, but you're coming into this game, week 17, you have the division already wrapped up. Yes, you're still hoping for the two seed and an outside chance at the one seed. If you could promise him that you come out of Las Vegas with a win, you could promise him that it was a win, regardless of what happened. I think he would draw up a game similar to how this one went as his ideal result. You know what I mean? A, a game in which they, they struggled defensively. A game in which the offense needed to go out and get it. A game in which they were behind early. They were down by 10 points at halftime. We talked a lot early in the season. That was an area that the 49ers under Kyle Shanahan have really, really struggled in in Shanahan's tenure. Guarantee a win. You would love to see this team lean on the offense for a change and go out and get a win now you know the one aside there is you also want to hope you come out with no major injuries and it's still tbd on that front a couple of guys go down aaron banks your left guard dre greenlaw your potentially all pro linebacker there'll be more tests on monday we're recording this here sunday evening we will know more next episode but that's the big tbd there but beside that evan you come out with a win Your team comes from behind. You saw your young rookie quarterback make big throws time after time in big moments, and you did not need your defense to be incredible to win a game on the road. I think ultimately, forget about the injuries for a second, ultimately a fantastic result for the 49ers that should give them more confidence in themselves as they try to make a run to the Super Bowl.
1: I also think that there is room for criticism, even with Brock Purdy. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like he played a perfect game because he didn't. Because to me, there were a couple of... There were a couple of throws that if Jimmy Garoppolo makes or another quarterback for the 49ers makes, we are coming down their road a bit. I mean, sure. The interception to Kittle, to me, was a mistake. And it was a mistake for a, a couple of reasons. One... I think Brock Purdy's arm strength or lack of showed a little bit in this game because that's a throw that either, one, you need a bazooka to make. Two, you got to make that throw earlier across the middle of the field. Or three, you got to put it in your back pocket. And Brock Purdy did none of those three things. So that's why that play turned into an interception. I also think down near the goal line where he tried to fit that ball into a tight window to George Kittle that was batted down. That's a throw that if it's a little to the right, a little to the left, not only is a pick, but potentially is taken back the other way for six. That's a dangerous throw that you need, again, to have more zip on that ball, which I don't know if Brock Purdy has to be able to make. The other part of it, too, is you know, there, there were a couple of times where he he missed a read. George Kittle over the middle. you know, He instead tried to go out to McCaffrey, and he found him, but that was a play that could have been had down the middle. There were missed opportunities by Brock Purdy, but we learned again that he is able to overcome adversity and flush all of these mistakes that he makes. The only question is, okay, well, if you do it in a playoff scenario, is that going to hurt you more than it does against the Las Vegas Raiders? Because in this game, the difference was a turnover. The difference was Jared Stidham via Nick Bosa creating a turnover to Deshaun Gibson at the end of over or beginning of overtime that then turns into a 23 yard field goal for Robbie gold in the win. If that turnover doesn't happen, who's to say Jared Siddham doesn't go down and score and win the game. So if the 49ers are winning the turnover battle, in my opinion, they're more than likely to win the game. The only thing that I would be a little bit hesitant about is some of those aggressive gunslinging, you know, Effort sometimes throws that Brock Purdy will make that so far have been, you know, very advantageous that have helped the 49ers and he should be given credit for. I just hope that he doesn't take today as, oh, well, now I have more free reign to do more of that.
0: And I, I don't think it will be, but I do think that's something interesting to keep an eye on moving forward because he's gotten away with some of those, Tougher throws where you're trying to fit it into a really tight window. You mentioned the one to kiddo at the goal line where he was trying to fit it between two converging defenders and ultimately he got it between them, but it was such a tight window. He couldn't get it completed. It falls incomplete, but, but again, that, that could have easily been an interception on that play though. If you remember, uh, it was there were, there were two other receivers to the left side of the formation. Juwan Jennings on the goal line and Ray Ray McLeod was running a deeper route in the back left corner of the end zone. And there was only one cornerback on that side of the field. Everyone else was drawn up to Kittle because they, they know that he's one of Brock Purdy's favorite targets. I mean, after having a relatively slow start to the season, Kittle is now having a career year, at least touchdown wise and a big part of that is Brock Purdy, so there was so much focus on George Kittle that there were two Niner receivers, Juwan Jennings and Ray Ray McLeod, on the left side of the end zone, being covered by one cornerback. That cornerback chose to run up and cover Juwan Jennings at the goal line, leaving Ray-Ray McLeod wide open in the back left corner. Now, it would have taken a nice touch pass over the top of that corner to get it to Ray-Ray, but he was still wide open, standing all by himself in that back left corner of the end zone. I don't think Brock Purdy ever saw him. So to your point, as we see more and more tape on Brock Purdy, we are seeing that... He's not perfect, and that's not a knock on him. No quarterback is perfect, but there are some throws. The the one to Kittle may be a bad decision uh, at the goal line. The interception on the pass intended to Kittle maybe shows off uh, his lack of arm strength, at least elite arm strength, but there are also examples of him simply not seeing open receivers, and that happens for every quarterback. I'm not saying this is the end of the world, just pointing it out that he is missing some guys as well. The one thing I will say though, Evan, about Brock Purdy, generally when he releases the ball and it's within, I don't know, 15 to 20 yards of the line of scrimmage, he's extremely accurate. Uh, he he puts it where he wants it. Now it's when you have those throws further down the field where things maybe get a little bit shaky. That interception to Kittle is an example. But if you're within 15 yards of the line of scrimmage, Evan, he's gonna put it on you for the most part. And, and he showed that again here, but there are Still some moments where either he's not seeing the guy he should throw it to, or maybe he's trusting his arm strength a little bit too much, and that's getting him into trouble. But still, overall, a positive day for Purdy.
1: Yeah, and look, he was... he. Found some touch on the, I believe, second touchdown, which he found George Kittle in the back it's of the a end great zone. Play. You know, great Rolling play. out to his left, putting it over the top of not only a couple of his own guys, but a couple of defenders reaching up for the ball. George Kittle, it looked like he saw him kind of sliding along with the quarterback towards the corner, finds yeah. him for the two-yard score. That That's a great play by by Brock Purdy. So, you know, for those that, that kind of feel like I might be nitpicking, I do want to give him credit for the plays that he did make.
0: Oh I'm um, I'm yeah I'm with you 100%. I mean he he was good. I, one interception uh, again it it wasn't a very good throw but he throws for almost 300 yards. He has two touchdowns in every game he's played for the 49ers longest streak uh for a Niners quarterback throwing for at least two touchdowns since 2001 when Jeff Garcia did it in eight straight games. Purdy's now done it in five straight games. Um he does something every week that that kind of makes uh, you go, wow, that that touchdown to George Kittle was the one where it happened for me today. Um, And he's just a rookie, so he's only going to get better. But uh, we wouldn't be doing his performance justice if we weren't looking at areas in which he could still get better. And as a rookie, that's going to be natural. And Kyle Shanahan knows that as well. So I'm with you. We're not knocking Brock Purdy. This This stuff is expected. I mean, he's a seventh-round rookie quarterback. He's going to get better. He's not going to be perfect right now but you try to identify where he can get better and that might speed along the process of him improving.
1: Yeah. Uh, one note about that before we move on, Mark, I believe the five straight games to start a career with two touchdowns or more, the second, second best streak ever to Justin Herbert, who did it eight times in 2020. So you know, if you're looking at that as a measuring stick, that's a pretty yeah. good start for a young quarterback. All right, this is the 415ers podcast brought to you by the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. Evan Gettings, Mark Grandy with you as always. Feel free to download, rate, and subscribe. Five stars are appreciated. All right, we talked about... Uh, I I would I do want to circle back to the offense eventually because I think there were a couple of uh, pieces along with Brock Purdy that certainly deserve praise Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk, among them outside of George Kittle, who we mentioned. But if we're, if we're talking about like the real finger pointing of, of this game, Mark, <laughs> it's it's got to be the defense. And we spend a lot of time on this podcast giving praise to each and every individual when they do a great job. And D'Amico Ryans, who we both think is going to be gone next season and is going to have a head coaching job somewhere. Um, this was not their best day. And they gave up 500 yards in a game for the first time since Kansas City. They gave up more than 80 yards rushing to a team for the first time since Kansas City. And they looked like the team that was partying on New Year's Eve more (laughs) than the Raiders yesterday. The defense did because they gave up 34 points and they could have lost this game. I mean, the reason why they didn't lose the game was the offense. The reason why they almost lost this game to me was their defense.
0: Now I, I will. I agree with you. I will say the defense did step up specifically in the fourth quarter when they needed it. They forced a turnover in the fourth quarter. It was Kerry Hider, uh, knocking a ball kind of off of his shoulder pads or helmet high up into the air, picked off by Drake Jackson. Ultimately resulted in a field goal. Uh, maybe we could bring up red zone issues as well. That kind of reared its head late in the game as well. Uh, and then of course in overtime, Nick Bosa was just a straight bull rush throwing. Uh, one of the tackles into the throwing motion of Jared Sidham, allowing for an easy interception for Gibson, which he takes all the way down inside the 10, setting up a chip shot field goal for gold to win the game. So the defense stepped up when they needed to, but you're right. For the most part, they were not very good. Uh, I think you got to credit Las Vegas. I mean, the 49ers had allowed 17 points in the final two minutes of halves this year entering this game uh, of the first halves. excuse me, Best in the NFL, the Raiders scored a touchdown with 10 seconds left in the first half. That was the great Devontae Adams touchdown. So they beat the Niners, where the Niners rarely get beat. The Niners also hadn't allowed a single point in the final two minutes of second halves this year. Raiders scored a touchdown, the to Josh Jacobs run after the incredible Devontae Adams catch to tie the game with about a minute left. The Raiders had 500 yards of offense. They scored 34 points. Niners, on average, Give up about 290 yards of offense per game, allow just over 15 points per game. By far, both the best marks in the NFL. And then you mentioned, uh, you know, individually, you know, the, the the total yards marks, the rushing yards marks, the worst the Niners have allowed since the Chiefs. So Raiders deserve credit. Niners certainly were not sharp, especially early in the game. Uh, but to, to point out, I think the the turnovers that they forced late shows that this is still a defense even if they are not playing at their best they do kind of have a sense for the moment uh and and they they showed that a bit in the fourth quarter and then in overtime forcing that that turnover so uh yes if there is uh some finger pointing to be done it it goes to that defense but i think they've they've afforded themselves a bad week or two considering how they've played this season but this one was certainly near the bottom of the list
1: yeah they have i i just think that Look, every person that comes to the podium after the game on defense because of how good they played is going to say, hey, this this was our bat. Like we we didn't play well today. I know that's the first thing that Fred Warner is going to say, because uh, even though he led the team with 12 tackles, uh, Fred Warner did not have a Fred Warner game. I mean, I'm looking at the beginning of the of the second half where the Raiders on a third and long throw a little bubble screen out to Hunter Renfro. And instead of you know, letting him going by and trusting that his teammates will clean up his mess, Fred Warner yep. grabs his face mess, rips him to the ground. Next play, 60-yard touchdown. Raiders take a 10-point lead. Late in the game, You know the Raiders, after a big Devontae Adams catch, are, are trying to punch it in. Well, there's a throw down the seam aimed at Darren Waller. Whether Warner thought it was a flag or not, commits a DPI in the end zone. Next play, touchdown, Josh Jacobs. There were plays as much as, yes, they did make some big plays in big moments. They also committed nine penalties. They were also a bit more undisciplined than I've seen them in a long time. And really the play that stood out to me, Mark, I mean, Nick Bosa made the play of the game. He did. At, At the end, that was the difference, as we've discussed. But there was a play earlier where I don't know if I have ever seen Nick Bosa do this And it was at the beginning of the fourth quarter, about 950 left. You can go back and and if you can find it, I, I do recommend because Nick Bosa's got a free rush at the quarterback and Jared Stidham for as well as he played doesn't pump fake kind of settles back and Nick Bosa just hesitates like he just he sits back on his heels and it's almost like he's waiting for Jared Stidham to dictate where he should go And I have never seen Nick Bosa hesitate when he's got a quarterback in his sights, dead red with no blocker in front of him. That is to me what the defense played with today. They played with a hint of hesitation that I have not seen really since they played against the Kansas City Chiefs. And it was just kind of mind-boggling that it happened against the Las Vegas Raiders team that was playing with a backup quarterback who who was clearly prepared. I I want to give Stidham credit for that. They have weapons, but there was just more hesitation than I've seen in, in about two and a half months from this defense.
0: I think I agree with your point. I don't agree with that that Bosa example, however. I, I literally laughed out loud when I saw that Bosa play. When he he runs, there's no blocker coming off the edge trying to you know chip him or slow him down. He has a straight line to stit him, and he's clearly surprised. He's like. I'm normally double teamed, if not triple teamed. Now they're sending no one my way. What is going on? I think there's a couple of things going through his head. First of all, it's okay. Sidham probably sees me. He's going to get rid of the ball. I don't want to get a roughing the passer penalty because that has kind of been my Achilles heel this year. I think that's in the back of his mind.
1: Well, he did later, and then they picked it up. (laughs)
0: True. The other thing is kind of what I was talking about earlier. There's no one blocking me. I am the focal point of every opposing team's offense and their blocking scheme. This has got to be some kind of trick. Something is up. They're running a screen. They want me to get to the quarterback. Something is going on because there is no way that a team in the National Football League will ever let me run free at the quarterback without even a traffic cone to get around. I think that popped into Nick Bosa's mind as well. Something is wrong because this is way too easy. They're drawing me in. They're going to dump it off in the flat where I just vacated, and it's going to be a big gain. I think that was what Nick Bosa thought. I'm not sure I would say he was playing with any hesitation there. I think overall throughout the entire game, I might agree with your point, but I think that was just a moment of the Raiders making a mistake and not blocking Nick Bosa, and Nick Bosa being very confused as to why he had a free run at the quarterback. But what you're uh, what
1: you're describing is literally hesitation. But like not, he hesitates because there's nobody in front of him because he thinks there's a play going
0: on, he hesitates. But not to any fault of his own. I mean, it. it I don't know. I mean, I think it's a it's a moment where he's trying. Maybe he's overthinking a little bit. Um, I, I guess okay. I I am I am maybe describing hesitation in in that moment where he's he he holds up and, and. But I think it's it's coming from a good place in which he's like, this has never happened before. I am always double teamed. What is going on here? Trying to make the right play. It just happened to be he was wrong. And it was just simply the Raiders making a terrible mistake that will probably never happen again in his entire career. Um, but I'm not so sure I agree in that moment. That was an example or a, a, a symptom of the Niners mindset defensively. I just think that's a an elite defensive player, maybe overthinking things just a little bit.
1: Well, for whatever reason, the, the defense was was clearly overthinking things today. And look, Jared Stidham is, you know, he, this was his first ever NFL career start. Uh, as we've seen in San Francisco, first career starts cannot be taken lightly. Brock Purdy beat the GOAT in his first ever NFL career start. But I guess the the hesitation, what I think it points to, and what we've seen throughout this season, is there does seem to be a little bit of a hole in the defense of the Niners when there is a quarterback who can move and Jared sit with a lot of help from, you know, big plays down the field from his receivers, Devontae Adams being the biggest one along with a running game that was surprisingly effective, 130 yards today against the 49ers who give up about 75 a game. All of that combined to me, it, it gave him fits. And, and I think we've seen it now with look, Justin Fields, I know it was week one, but again, these are all things that combine to me spell a bit of a trend. Justin Fields, Russell Wilson, um, you know, you're looking at Marcus Mariota, Patrick Mahomes. Now, not all those quarterbacks are created equal. And now Jared Stidham, all of them can move. And when there's a quarterback on the other side I do think the defense for the 49ers, along with the fact that they didn't have the lead for most of this game and they couldn't find any consistency stopping the run, although they did have a big stop at the goal line. Eric Armstead was fantastic. Plugging the hole on a fourth and one, which stopped the touchdown. Um, I do think that this Niners defense got punched in the mouth today by a team that they didn't expect to and by a quarterback that they didn't expect to. And it just, again, I'm, I'm looking at him like, they're a little bit vulnerable when the opposing signal caller can move. Uh,
0: I think there's something to your point. I think that's what makes Jalen hurts and the Eagles. So particularly scary because it's kind of the unknown. uh, It's the last box that the Niners defense has checked is, can they shut down a dual threat quarterback, a quarterback who can extend plays with his legs. And in Jalen hurts case, who can win games with his legs alone. Um, I, I do think in this game, though, we saw, for the first time, I can remember in a while, maybe the Kansas City game stands out, but that just seemed like more than than one one guy, one injury away from being good. This was the first time, honestly, and it's nothing against him, it's the first time I thought about Emmanuel Mosley in a while, to be honest with you, Evan, because Diomador Lenore was getting beat almost every single play. The Raiders made a point at putting Devontae Adams on whatever side of the field the Elmador Lenore was on. So they had to match the Niners, had to match him up with Devontae Adams. And he had a really bad game. He, he missed tackles against Josh Jacob. He was called for a penalty. Now, the touchdown in the first half to Devontae Adams was pretty good coverage. Devontae Adams is just one of the best receivers to ever play this game. But he was beat often in this game. Devontae Adams, seven catches, 153 yards two touchdowns. A lot of that came against D'Almodo Lenore. This was the first time the Niners missed Emmanuel Mosley in a really long time. And I think if something like that is to continue, D'Almodo Lenore getting matched up against elite receivers, it could be an issue for the 49ers moving forward. And that's what makes that injury to Emmanuel Mosley so hurtful from earlier in the year. However, it hasn't really reared its head much to this point. I think the Niners will be able to mask some of those deficiencies in the defensive secondary. And overall, Lenore has had a pretty good season, but this was by far his worst game of the year. That is a bit of a concern moving forward. Not saying it's going to spell doom for them, but if there is an area defensively that worries me right now, it is the other corner spot alongside Mooney Ward. And right now, kind of by default, that job is Diamond or Lenore's. I will be keeping an eye on that of course in the final week of the regular season against a banged up Cardinals team and then in the playoffs as well.
1: I think that though Mark is a product of the fact that they didn't have a pass rush. Now I don't know if yeah. I'm sure Diamandor Lenore didn't like, he didn't play well today. But I don't necessarily know if it's the fact that he has played at such a higher level or you know a ridiculously higher level in the recent weeks or the fact that the Niners didn't have a sack today. I know they had nine quarterback hits and Bosa had five of them pretty ridiculously, (laughs) but they did not create consistent pressure on Jared Stidham. A lot of that was because he was able to extend plays. And I think we have seen now, and look, it wasn't just Diamandor Lenore. Like, Teleno Hufanga got burnt on the first drive of the game by Darren Waller. That's the sixth touchdown that Hufanga has allowed in coverage this year. Like it's again, these are all things that are kind of over the course of a of a 17 game season now becoming trends. So if the Niners cannot create a pass rush up front. Which is either because, again, they didn't play from the lead. They were trying to come from behind. They were trying to contain Stidham in the pocket. I think that's also another part of the, the Bosa play that that came to my mind is like he's trying to make sure he doesn't scramble and get out of the pocket. Yeah. So if Stidham's extending plays and looking downfield, then I do think we see a secondary for the 49ers that, look, it's hard to cover when you got to blanket a guy for five seconds. But especially when you don't have, you're right, like you're starting number two corner, then I think that's where Lenore gets exposed along with the rest of the secondary outside of probably Ward a little
0: more. You're I mean, you're 100% right. If if you can get pressure on a quarterback quickly, you can make any defensive backfield look elite. And the Niners defensive backs have looked really good this year. And a big part of that is because of Nick Bosa and company up front. And, and Nick Bosa even talked about it post-game saying, you know, I think he was asked about just in general, the, the defense allowing 500 yards and 34 points and what happened. And and he, along with the rest of the front seven, specifically the, the down linemen kind of took the blame for that saying You know, it's on us for not getting to the quarterback earlier, for not containing him, keeping him in the pocket, not allowing him to run free for first downs. And then, of course, as you alluded to, when you're not putting pressure on a quarterback, you're forcing your cornerbacks and safeties to cover for longer. And it's not like this is a a Raiders offense that is devoid of weapons. I mean, they have some of the best skill players in football. Devontae Adams and Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro is a tough cover. Josh Jacobs, who Nick Bosa said is the best running back he's played against in his entire career. It's a talented offense, but it's not an offense that should be putting up 500 yards of offense against the best defense in the NFL. So to your point, I think Nick Bosa agrees with you. It's on the guys up front, fair or not, to be better at getting to the quarterback and making the corners and safeties look better. Um, But still, I think if there is a weakness in the defense right now, it is that other corner spot, and it makes sense. I mean, their starting second Second corner has been out for much of the season. So, I mean, th- it's not like it's a, it's a knock on the Niners organization or anything that, that they're unprepared. It's just the way it is because of an unfortunate injury, but that's how football goes. Uh, that is a weak spot for the defense right now. However, they are generally good enough, and they've been in almost every game this year good enough to cover up those weaknesses. They just simply didn't do that this game.
1: Yeah. And and again, if you're going to have a bad game, now would be the time. Exactly. And if you're going to have a bad game and win, that'd be even better. If you're going to have a bad game and win and improve to become the number two seed in the NFC, that would be fantastic. Again, (laughs) it's all a valuable win for the 49ers. Uh, We were just pointing out a couple of things that we saw on the 415ers podcast brought to you by the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network, Evan Giddings, Mark Randy. Follow us on social at 415ers. I'm on social at EGiddings10. Mark is on social at Mark Randy. Mark with a C, Grandy with an I. Okay, I know we said we're going to get back to some of the offense outside of Brock Purdy. Uh, the real question is, do you want to start with Christian McCaffrey or Brandon IU? Because those are the two guys that jumped off of the screen today.
0: They were fantastic. I guess I'll start with Christian McCaffrey. I I don't know how you felt, Evan. I think I, I mentioned this on our last episode on Friday leading into this game. I was not expecting 25 touches from McCaffrey today. I don't think that was the game plan going in. Uh, I, I think that Kyle Shanahan would have loved to give McCaffrey maybe only 15 touches max, maybe something like 12 touches. They get up by a couple of scores, and you can give some carries to Jordan Mason and Tyrion Davis Price, who were both active for this game, by the way, um, and then you know you kind of go from there and you cruise to victory. That was not the case. You get down by ten at halftime. You need McCaffrey, and you 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 were not a, you would not have come close to winning this game without him. So first of all, I think unfortunate that the Niners needed him to be as good as he was to win this game. Uh, but he once again answered every single call. 25 total touches, 193 total yards, 121 of those on the ground. He averaged about six and a half a pop on the ground. He added six catches for 72 yards, had a 14-yard touchdown run on the ground, almost scored a couple of other touchdowns in this game. He seeded a goal-line carry, uh, or not a goal-line carry, but... uh, a carry near the goal line yeah, to red zone. A red zone carry. You're right. To uh to Mason, who ended up scoring his first career touchdown. He could have had another there. He was tackled down to the one a couple of times. He was phenomenal in this game. Uh the Niners clearly needed every one of those 25 touches, but something that we've we've talked about is maybe we start to see the 49ers playing against some of these not great teams seed some touches away to, to get them ready for the postseason. That was not the case uh, in this one. And I think if you were if there was any doubt in your mind how much the Niners wanted to win this game, Evan, how much they want at least the two seed look no further than Christian McCaffrey's touches in this game, because if they didn't really care that much about winning this game, I guarantee you McCaffrey would not have had 25 touches in this game. They desperately wanted this game they gave McCaffrey the ball, told everyone else to get the hell out of the way and he helped them win the game.
1: Yeah. The, the touch total will tell you Kyle Shanahan's level of interest in a certain game when it comes to McCaffrey. I mean, I, I counted 14 in the first half alone and they trailed uh, for the first time in in seven games. So that, that was pretty wild to see. And I think kind of told you then, okay, we're going to have to use him more in, in the second half. I don't know if you read that story by, by Matt Barrows last week, but It looked like Christian McCaffrey might've had a whole PB and J sandwich at halftime.
0: (laughs) I did.
1: Uh, Okay. All right. So you you know what I'm talking about? Everyone else, Christian McCaffrey eats peanut butter and jelly at halftime, but he doesn't always eat the entire sandwich depending on if the team has the ball, what his carry count is or isn't. Uh, I think he had the whole PB and J today.
0: Yeah. He goes into halftime, the team down 10, he checks his phone, sees the Vikings are getting blown out. He's like, all right, whole pb i gotta i gotta step up in the second half here
1: yeah well the other guy who stepped up in the second half was brandon Ayuk because he's the other part of this and like i i've said i think brandon Ayuk's the the number one wide receiver debo samuel i think is a it would be second on the depth chart when it comes to most important offensive players in the 49ers but Ayuk is the number one wideout, and we saw it today and we saw it on that final drive i mean brock purdy does not Make the final drive to put the Niners in a position to win the game, which they eventually did in overtime without Brandon Ayuk creating a massive amount of separation again and again, not once, not twice, not three times, but four times on that last drive catches of 12 yards, 18 on back to back throws after and in completion, he goes back to Ayuk. Brock Purdy does, for 11 yards, second time out there. And then, I don't know if you want to talk about the, the questionable play call for Shanahan to call up. We're, we're just thinking of here in the studio, how are we going to put the ball on the ground run it? Well, no, Brock Purdy, in fact, play action, roll out. One thing you can't take is a sack, nearly does. Gets hit as he's throwing, heaves a three flies up, prayer into the air, and it miraculously falls into the arms of Brandon Ayuk for an 11-yard catch. That sets up what would have been a game winning field goal. But Brandon Ayuk on that drive had 62 of his 101 yards on the day. And of course, he also caught a touchdown, which was, you know, a nice play for him. Um, he's up to, I think, what, eight touchdowns this season receiving. Uh, but he he has been a mainstay on offense, being able to get open when they need it. And on that final drive, to me, also proved that when you gotta have it, Brandon Ayuk's a guy that can get you there.
0: A hundred percent. I agree with you. He's becoming one of the best route runners in football and he can create space uh, when you're, you know, in a congested area near the line of scrimmage still Uh, a lot of his catches are what? 10 to 15 yards down the field. Like he's not going to burn you deep down the field all that often. Now he does have pretty good speed, but he relies on his footwork, his route running ability, he runs some some epic you know stick routes, some some comeback routes where he's just leaving cornerbacks in the dust and safety to try to guard him. You almost feel sorry for him sometimes because Brandon Ayuk is, is so electric with his feet and his ability to change directions quickly and, and to fake a little bit of body language, a shoulder turn one way and cut back the other way and, and, and get open. He is becoming phenomenal at that, and he's always had that, but Where I've seen the most improvement from Brandon Ayuk, and I I think that that play where Brock Purdy almost took a sack late in the fourth quarter, then almost threw an interception and ended up being a jump ball to Brandon Ayuk, it's also him being fearless and going up for a play like that where he knows there's a defender doing the same thing, going up for that ball, trying to lay him out, knock it away, knock it incomplete. He's fearless going up for that ball, um, and and you can finally – uh, sense. It's been this way for a lot of the season, but you think back to last year when he was quote unquote in the, the doghouse uh, for Kyle Shanahan for a lot of that year. You can really sense, one, how much he cares and wants to go out and, and help his teammates. Not saying he didn't want that last year at all, but you can really feel it. And on the flip side, how much his team is relying on him and how much they need him to go out and do that. And they desperately needed it in this game. Unfortunately, all those catches on that final drive of regulation didn't result in the game-winning field goal uh, because Robbie Gold missed it. Uh, but don't let that miss forget about the fact that Brandon Ayuk was unstoppable on that drive. I mean, everything thrown at him, aside from that first play of that drive, which went incomplete over the middle of the field, everything else he caught. He He was phenomenal in this game, specifically in the fourth quarter.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And all of that combined... Sets up a 37-34 overtime win for the 49ers. They make the plays on offense when they need to. They make the plays on defense when they have to. And they put themselves now in the number two chair in the NFC. Still a number one seed within reach. And this is where I want to finish the episode, Mark. We're going to go a little bit overtime here. It's a victory episode of the 415ers, so we're going to give the people what they want, a little bit of extra content, and talking about the playoff scenario that is set up for Week 18. San Francisco wins. Philadelphia loses. The Niners get the one seed. They would not only get home field advantage, but they would get a bye, and it feels Almost ridiculous that we're talking about this scenario, considering the three and four start to this season. but they have a potential to not only win ten straight going into the playoffs, but also fixate themselves on the one seed and win it, it regardless of whatever else happens, of course, assuming that Philly loses next week to the Giants. Now there's a lot of there's a lot of you know context there. The Giants are locked into their spot in the postseason. They can't really advance their standing. So who's to say they'll even play Daniel Jones or Saquon Barkley. But then Philadelphia also, of course, needs the win because not only could they lose the one seed, but if they lose and the Cowboys win next week, well, then Philly could fall all the way down to the five. So you'd assume that Jalen Hurts is going to play, but how how healthy he's going to be? He hasn't played football in three weeks. There's a lot going on here, Mark. But, I mean, it's a big deal that the Niners could be somehow, some way, even better than your prediction about them being a two seed at the end of the year.
0: Yeah, let's say they're the one. Do I still get to victory lap that next week? I don't Actually, know. I feel like
1: you should take a bigger victory lap because <laughs> you've been, I mean, you've been more optimistic about their their playoff uh, positioning than I have for sure over the course of this year.
0: Fair enough. I will say kind of what you're laying out, Niner fans. I wouldn't get too attached to the hope of being the one seed. It would be incredible. Don't get me wrong. A bye It's a guaranteed, you're essentially already win a playoff game if you get the one seed. You're already in to the divisional round, and you're guaranteed home games through the Super Bowl if you keep winning. It's huge. It is a gigantic advantage. However, what you said is correct. The Giants, who are the Eagles' opponent in Week 18, it's in Philadelphia, by the way, are already locked into the sixth seed. They have absolutely nothing to gain by winning. Doesn't mean they won't go out there and try to win. We don't really know what Brian Dable and his uh his squad think is best. There's a lot of people who think you take time off like that and you might cost yourself next week. You might lose some of that edge that you've had throughout the season. Certainly possible. But all I'm saying is it's relatively unlikely. You get it, take a quick look at, at what Vegas thinks of this game. Niners and Eagles, both two touchdown favorites. Niners over the Cardinals, Eagles over the Giants. So you're gonna need. A relatively sizable upset, and then the Niners to avoid a sizable upset in order to win the one seed. However, Evans, what we've been talking about a lot, because we thought the one seed was relatively out of reach, now you feel incredibly disappointed if you're not the two seed. The only way you're not the two seed is if the Vikings win and you lose. That should not happen if you're the 49ers. And what does that mean? You guarantee yourselves two home games in the playoffs. If you win the first one and who knows, maybe someone pulls an upset of the, of the Eagles and you get to host the NFC championship game anyway, if you get that far, but what makes it even more interesting is now the Packers are probably the favorite to be the seven seed. And whoever is the two would get the Packers in the first round of the postseason. And I don't know how you feel about playing one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, Aaron Rodgers. I know that team has looked pitiful at times this year, but I probably would want to avoid playing a great quarterback like Aaron Rodgers in the postseason on a year in which he feels like he's playing on house money. That might just be me. I don't know. But that two versus seven matchup could get really interesting if it is Niners-Packers.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And and look, right now that's that's the last spot up for grabs. I mean, we're looking at Seattle right now that's currently got it. But like you mentioned, Green Bay, Detroit, Uh, Of course, Green Bay is going to play Detroit. So, one of those two teams will have a seat at the table. And Seattle, I believe, is hosting Los Angeles at the Rams next week. So, you would assume that they'd be able to take care of business against Baker Mayfield. uh, But he's basically boomer bust Baker at this (laughs) point. I don't know which Baker is going to show up. So, they could lose that game. Who knows? Uh, But it's all in front of them. The seven seeds up for grabs that will likely figure out who's who the Niners are going to play I do want to save a little bit of that analysis for the next episode Mark and uh, tease it a bit on Wednesday we're going to be talking about which team could pose the biggest threat to the 49ers in the first round of the playoffs should of course they be the two seed um but before we wrap up Mark I, I, I don't know we kind I feel like we kind of gave out some game balls throughout this this episode uh but if you had to pick one quickly like who who would be your guy
0: Christian McCaffrey no doubt for me. Uh he willed the team to victory. He was their offense in the first half. And the big plays that he had, uh, that that screen play, the screen late in the fourth quarter and that yeah. the drive. The Niners took over with four minutes left in a tie game. Ultimately, they go down and score a touchdown. of course the Raiders went back and tied it up. Christian McCaffrey was incredible on that drive. Also, a quick shout out. Daniel they scored Brunskill. Too quickly. Oh, they sorry. did score too quickly. But quick shout out, Daniel Brunskill. Racing out from his left guard spot, by the way, in r- relief of Aaron Banks, and getting just a little bit of a shoulder push on a on a would be tackler to allow Christian McCaffrey to break three for that big gain. Uh great play, Daniel Brunskill. That play does not happen if he doesn't hustle and and make that play. Uh, but McCaffrey was the heart of the Niners' offense in this game. He gets my game ball.
1: Gotcha. I I kind of laid out my case, but I think it's Brandon Ayuk. Uh I. I think that offensively when they had to have it, we're talking about times when you need to, you know, you're in the trenches, you got to have guys you can rely on. I know it feels weird that Brock Purdy isn't a part of this, but it's because of the two guys that we're talking about. Like those were his two safety valves. And I think when they needed it on that last drive, uh, Brandon was, was that dude. I do also want to mention, we, we didn't get into the injuries much, but the reports are Aaron banks from Kyle Shanahan, that it is a feared sprain MCL, they, of course, have experienced that earlier this year with Elijah Mitchell. That was a six- to eight-week injury, which would unfortunately probably put Banks out for the rem- remainder of whatever the postseason run becomes. And then Drake Greenlaw is going to be tested on tomorrow for his back. Hopefully, fingers crossed, it is not too serious because we're both under the assumption that you know he'll be back and he's a big part of this defense. They really do need him. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry, no, no, go, go for it.
0: I was just going to say, I, I agree with you about Dre Greenlaw. I mean, the defense wasn't good in the first half when he was out there as well. But I did think you saw a pretty significant drop off from him to Aziz Shire. Now, you're Alshire. You're not playing a ton of snaps lately. You got to come in kind of cold. I'm sure he would be better if he has a full week of preparation knowing that he's playing. But there was a pretty big drop off there, Evan. So the Dre Greenlaw injury is potentially a big one. Um, you, you gotta hope if you're a Niner fan that he is okay. Maybe he misses week 18. No big deal there. Be ready for the playoffs, Dre, because you're, you're going to be needed then. But if it's anything that keeps him out for multiple weeks, uh, this could be a, a defense that looks a little different come the postseason. That's how important Dre Greenlaw is.
1: Yeah, look, he's he's been the second best player on the field at times this year behind Nick Bosa. I mean, that, that's that's how good he's been. So, yeah, speed of recovery, hopefully, to Dre Greenlaw. Uh, a couple of stats that caught my eye, just to to give people something on the way out. Mention the two straight or the five straight games with uh, two or more touchdowns by Brock Purdy, second to Justin Herbert when it comes to rookie quarterbacks. He has won his first four starts, technically, although you can count the five. That would be the longest streak to start a career since Ben Mm. Roethlisberger did it 13 straight times in the 2004 season. Uh, Jordan Mason gets his first career touchdown. Applause to him. I know he fell a yard short up in Seattle, so it feels like poetic justice that he gets a very important touchdown, by the way, uh, to put them up with about two minutes left in that game. Christian McCaffrey, fifth straight game with a touchdown for him. They are still undefeated when he is the starting running back for the 49ers, and I think that is all I got, Mark.
0: I have one stat for you. I kind of mentioned it earlier, but I did track it down exactly. Niners have improved to 2-33 and 33 under Kyle Shanahan when trailing nice. by double digits in the second half. The only yeah. other time besides Week 17 in Vegas this year Week 18 last year in Los Angeles when they needed to win to get into the postseason. So 2 and 33 under Kyle Shanahan went down by 10 in the second
1: half. But they do it late in the year, so they peak at the right time. Yes, sir. Uh, oh, also, teams week directly after playing the 49ers. True. Improve or fall to, I should say. and <laughs> 14 with the Washington Commanders getting absolutely host by the Cleveland Browns. So uh, that's your stat wrap up. This has been an (laughs) elongated episode of the 415 Fivers podcast. But uh, Mark, I appreciate you hanging on for an extra 10 minutes or so.
0: Yes, sir. Of course. Looking forward to uh, Wednesday's episode already.
1: Yeah, we got some good stuff to get into. Playoff picture has come full circle heading into the last week of the NFL season. We got some juicy matchups to discuss. And, of course, we'll have a bigger AFC picture after the Monday night game between Buffalo and Cincinnati. We'll be sure to watch that. Should be a fun game between two of the hottest teams in football. But the hottest team in football, your San Francisco 49ers, have won. Now, nine in a row, they beat the Las Vegas Raiders 37-34 37-34 to 34 in overtime. They are the two-seed in the NFC with an outside shot at the one seed heading into the postseason. Who knows what's going to happen, uh, but we'll keep, you, we'll keep you locked in here on the 415ers next episode coming Wednesday. We appreciate you tuning in. Download, rate, subscribe. It's all brought to you by the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network. Emmy Giddings, Mark Grandy. We'll talk to you next time.